listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. Everybody having fun so far? Did, did anybody come to church to get offended? Anybody? I, I know I didn't. <laughs> You don't have to go to church to be offended. I mean, you can go to church to be offended, but there's plenty of other places to be offended. Sometimes the Lord will send an offense your way just to deal with you, expose your heart to yourself. And I kind of had that happen to me this week. I was, uh, I had one situation where I was, I was, uh, I was telling somebody how offended I was. And I was amazed at how righteous and, and, and uh, justified my, my position was. And then two days later, someone, someone else was saying the exact same thing, except I was on the receiving end of, of, the, of the, uh, somebody setting me straight type of a thing. So, you know, it's really interesting how um, we are, can be so freely ready to... Uh, uh, <clears throat> bring personal adjustment to other people but when the lord comes and brings personal adjustment our direction it's so much harder isn't it so much more difficult and yet the spirit continues working and he does his work in our lives and that's kind of what it means to be a follower of jesus is that you're actively submitting yourself to the work of the spirit and sometimes the work of the spirit uh, will challenge you in ways that are outside of your comfort zone outside of your comfort level and so, anyways, praise the Lord. Who's with me so far? Okay, so I've, I've lately had this obsession with bread. How many of you guys were here last time I spoke? I was preaching on how unsexy bread is. Anybody remember that? Okay, so this is kind of a part two. I'm going to kind of circle back over some things. I apologize if you missed the last message. You should go to our podcast and listen to it. It'll really bless you. Um, but anyways, I'm going to go on and on and on about bread again. So here's the thing. The reason why I believe in the gospel is because I believe that the gospel is making me. All right. The gospel is changing me when I take myself out of the hearing of the gospel, here's what I'm left with. I'm left with my own thinking. All right? And from what I can tell so far, when I am left only to my own way of thinking, I cannot long endure the tyranny of my own mind. All right? So I believe in the gospel because... I've witnessed it change people like me who are naturally unbelieving into believers. Okay, I didn't wake up one morning and just decide that I believed everything that Jesus claimed, everything that the Bible claimed. I got to this point because I heard the gospel. I got to this point because I let my ears hear and receive what the Spirit was saying through the words of Jesus over and over in my life. And there began to be a change. There was a transformation in my life that occurred that was powerful. 
I know you've, you've felt this in your own life, okay? So just because a person is a Christian, though, doesn't necessarily mean that they believe God. Believing in God, generally speaking, is different than believing God. That is why I allow myself to sit under the preaching of the gospel, because if I let it, the gospel has power to change me from being someone who believes only in what I can see with my eyes to someone who believes in the long, slow, invisible work of the kingdom of God. All right? Sometimes when we hear the word gospel or when we hear someone talking about preaching the gospel, we mentally check out because we have determined that we have already heard all there is to hear about that And that there is nothing more worth hearing. So I've been reading this book. I've been reading this Pulitzer Prize winning book called Gilead by this lady named Marilyn Robinson. Has anybody read this book? Gilead? Okay. You should check it out. It's at the library. So she won the Pulitzer Prize for it. It's this incredible book. I'm... I'm like reading whole, I'm one of those annoying people that reads a book and and then loves it and is trying to read passages of it to somebody else. So I'm like calling Amy, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. It's not as compelling as when I, you know, anyways. So, so this book, in, in this book, her main character is this old man named John Ames. And John Ames is writing, this book is this this long letter to his young son because John Ames is about to die. He's like 80 something years old and his son is seven. All right. It's a long story. So it's, it's a love letter to his son in which he is attempting to communicate to his son as much of his history and wisdom as he can before he passes away. So the dude's a pastor, he's a preacher, he spent 60-something years of his life in the vocation of pastoral ministry, of preaching the gospel, okay? He spent his life going over the text, giving himself to the scriptural text, and then preaching it out. And he says this thing, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. First, he quotes the Bible, and he says, we see and see, but we do not perceive We hear and we hear, but we don't understand, as the Lord says. He goes, I can't claim to understand that saying as many times as I've heard it and even preached on it. It simply states a deep and mysterious fact. And here's what I want you to get. You can know a thing to death and be for all purposes completely ignorant of it. Let me say that again. You can know a thing to death and be for all purposes completely ignorant of it. So thinking we really understand is the very thing that keeps us from actually understanding. Our conclusion that we know is the thing that keeps us out of the kingdom of God. So really... The preaching of the gospel and the hearing of the gospel is our practice of submitting our individual and collective blindness and deafness under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
What we're doing right now is together we're taking our collective blindness and deafness and submitting ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ this morning. We are in this together. Amen. So here's the thing. Jesus seems preoccupied with confronting our unbelief. He is not in the habit of leaving people in their unbelief. There is a direction that Jesus wants you and I to travel. It's from unbelief to belief. It's never from bad to good. It's never from unrighteousness to uh, to righteousness, although those things are included. The thing that Jesus keeps going after in people is the unbelief that resides in their hearts and minds that creates blindness and deafness within their being that affects the entirety of their lives. And because of their ignorance, they don't even know that something is wrong. You might say to yourself, you don't have to say it out loud, just say it under your breath. This is true of me too. So the direction is from unbelief to belief. So here's the thing. I want to talk about bread again today. So we're in the book of John, but I want to take a minute and I want to look at Matthew chapter four. Okay. This is a really interesting passage. I love this passage. You know it well, hopefully, but Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist and the spirit has come down and he's been, he's being led into the wilderness by the Holy spirit. Okay. Uh, in order that he's going to be tempted by Satan. So Jesus hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. So of course, by the end of this 40 days, he's fasted. Now he's very hungry. You know, I don't know about you, but I can't miss lunch without losing my mind, right? So 40 days is a kind of a big deal. Yay, Jesus. Jesus wins at being him, right? So anyways, the first thing that Satan comes to do comes to Jesus, the very first thing that Satan wants to talk to Jesus about is bread. I find that so interesting. Here's the thing. Jesus is really hungry and Satan comes ready to convince, to persuade Jesus to use power to turn these stones that are in front of him into something that he can eat. Okay, the thing about the devil is this. Satan loves expediency. He thrives on what is expedient and he thrives on what is practical. Satan deals in expediency and he lays this deal out for Jesus. And he says this, look, man, you're hungry. You're the son of God. It makes perfect sense to take matters into your own hands and relieve your hunger. Why wait on God? Here's the thing. And this is the devil talking still. God is slow. This is what he's saying to Jesus. God is slow. You're hungry now. What's important is that you have your physical needs met right now. This is the most important thing. You can try living on God's words if you want to, but everyone that I know who tries to do that just dies. I don't know about you, but if I'm hungry and Satan is coming to me with a solution that I can deliver on, 10 times out of 10, I'm taking that option. 
It's because I've, I've, I've lived my whole life in a world that is addicted to things that are expedient, to things that are practical, to things that are utilitarian, to things that are based upon what we see with our eyes, that are based upon the root of unbelief. And the entire time Jesus is talking to us, he's saying, what we're doing here is we're going from unbelief to belief. We're going from living our lives upon what we can see with our eyes to the thing that's invisible and slow. And of course, Jesus has this strong sense of himself within him. He knows who he is. He knows where he's coming from. He knows where he's going. And at the core of his being, at the core of Jesus's being, he is a man of belief. He is filled with belief. All that heaven knows is what Jesus knows. All that heaven is carrying is the same thing that's rooted within him. He's a believer. He lets his trust. He lets his belief. He lets his faith in his father lead him. So Jesus is Sitting here, hungry as all get out. The father of lies is tempting him with bread. And he's, he brings the hammer down. And he strikes to the very core of mankind's existential despair. He says this, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. So Jesus, right in this moment, he's proving to us that you and I do not have to make deals with the devil in order to live. We don't have to make deals with anybody or any situation in order to live. We don't have to make the expedient and practical deals. In fact, the call into the kingdom, the call into the Jesus way is to do the things that mostly don't make sense. Like if you're hungry, it makes sense to turn stones to bread. If you're hungry, it makes sense to go do whatever it takes to feed yourself. And Jesus in this moment is saying, nope, there's some other way for you and I to be. There's another way to live. Jesus is proving this to us. No longer does physical hunger or physical desire need to be the ultimate ground of our being. There is something that we live our life by now. There's something else that we measure our life by. The words of God are the means by which we live. In this one fell swoop, Jesus is destroying the lie that we must be slaves to our physical desires. It's not that our physical needs are unimportant. It's just that they're not the God that we're serving. Are you with me so far? So I find it very interesting that the first thing that Jesus is tempted with is bread. So let's, let's jump over to John chapter 6. If you have your Bible or your iPhone, just put pause on your Tetris game for a second and jump over to John chapter 6. So the thing about the Gospel of John is it's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's, it's not one of the synoptic Gospels. It, it has a different chronology. It has a different layout. It has a different way of... Describing the story of God. There's a different narrative happening, okay? 
So I want to just do a really quick survey of, of the gospel of John for you up to John chapter six. So in, in John chapter one, we see this thing where, where John is laying out Jesus, the word made flesh. Okay. And then in, in John chapter two, we see John the baptizer and, and he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. And then he says these words, behold, the lamb of God. And then next we see the calling of Jesus's disciples. And in the book of John, there's like three guys named. There's Peter, there's Andrew, there's Philip, and I believe there's Nathaniel. But it gets real personal in this book. Names are being, uh, many names are being called within this book. So after the disciples, Jesus does his first sign and wonder at the wedding in Canada, Cana, not in Canada, in Cana. <laughs> he's, he's turning water into wine. And then from there, he goes into the temple at Passover and he clears out all the all the merchants and the money changers. And then right after that, he's sitting in the middle of the night on a rooftop with this rabbi named Nicodemus, who's wondering about this man who's doing all these signs and wonders. And he says, man, I don't know how you're doing this, but can you please tell me? And Jesus goes into this uh, really wonderful and beautiful a narrative about how you determine somebody who's been born again. You know, one of the ways that you know if somebody has been born from above is that they're like the wind. You don't know where they're going and you don't know where they've been. It's kind of like, you know, I've said this before, but if your life feels like you don't know where you're going and you don't know where you've been, well, it's highly likely that you're born from above. It's not really true. That's just, you know, it's funny. So anyways, Jesus on the rooftop with Nicodemus. And then next he's, he's um, making friends with the Samaritan woman. And he's telling her all about her life. And all these people come to him and believe him. They, they go from unbelief to belief in, the, in Samaria. And then he heals the nobleman's son. And then he heals a lame man who was sick for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. And then because he heals on the Sabbath, he begins feeling persecuted or he begins being persecuted by the Jews at that time. And they begin plotting to kill him at this point. And then in the gospel of John, there's this really incredible moment where there's four witnesses. The Jews come to to Jesus and and they start accusing him and they're mad at him because he's healing people on the Sabbath and he's claiming to be the son of God. And he's doing all these wonderful signs, but they're just mad because he's not following the rules. And he holds up four witnesses and he says, guys, here's the thing. I have come. And there have been many things that have borne witness of me. He says, first of all, John the Baptist bore witness of me. And then the many signs that I've done in your presence bear witness of me. And then the father bears witness of me. And then the scriptures bear witness of me. And you have searched the scriptures because in them you thought you could find life. But those are the things that witness to the very life that is standing right in front of you. And here's what he says. But you refuse to come to me. It's an incredible indictment at that moment. 
I don't ever want to have Jesus saying that of me, that you refused to come to me so that I could give you rest. The exact scripture was, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So here we are in John chapter six, and we're at this, this incredible miracle. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And this, this miracle is talked about in all four gospels. It's a pretty significant turning point in the gospel, in the story of Jesus. So there's a crowd and they've gathered to hear Jesus teach. And around dinner time, Jesus and his disciples begin to notice that people are getting hungry. And so he, he says, what should we do? He gives some instructions. One of the disciples finds a boy with loaves and fish. You know the story. Jesus offers them up and he starts breaking the bread and he starts breaking the fish. And they begin disseminating this food to the 5,000 plus that were seated there. And so my paraphrase is this, the people go nuts, all right? They witness not having any food. There was no way to get food. And out of his compassionate heart, Jesus performs this miracle, which really was a sign pointing to who he was as the son of God. He's the man who's come as Messiah. He breaks this bread. He breaks the fish. He feeds everybody and the people go nuts. Their bellies are filled. They see the miracle of provision and they come to a conclusion. And the conclusion is this. We have to make this man in charge of everything. We have to make this man our king. We've never seen anything like this. First of all, we've never heard anybody talk with this kind of authority. But better than all of that, we will never have to worry about getting food ever again. Food is no longer scarce. This guy can turn a little bit into a whole lot. And so the scripture says that they sought to crown him king. So what does Jesus do? Like any good Messiah, he takes off for the mountains and hides himself. All right. So he's gone. The people disperse a little bit. His disciples get in a boat and they go in one direction. And then we know that story of Jesus walking on the water and he meets these guys on the other side. But, you know, people that have seen a miracle like this, you're not going to be able to lose those people very easily. They will hunt you down. They will track you down. And that's exactly what these people did. Their bellies were filled from that bread, that miracle bread, that miracle fish. And they went looking for Jesus and the crowds find him. And then Jesus Really, he confronts their earnestness, okay? He confronts their desire because they are consumed with a desire all of a sudden. They have a desire to be fed by this man. They have a desire to make him in charge of their lives, but in a very different way than he ever meant. So Jesus says this to them. He's really not being very nice. He kind of lowers the boom on them. He says, most assuredly, I say this to you. You're seeking me not because you saw the sign, 
but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. He says, I don't want you to seek or to labor after the thing which perishes and goes away, but you should labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the son of man will give you because the father has set his seal upon him. The father has approved of him. And they're still not getting the point, which is typical, right? They're saying, oh, there's something we got to do to enter into getting bread all the time. So they said, what is the work that we should do so that we can get more of this bread? And Jesus answered them and said, this is the work of God. That you believe him who God sent. Have you ever wondered what the will of God is or the work of God is like specifically for you or for, for us as a church? What, what's the thing? What's the thing that differentiates us from anybody else? And it's in this, in this passage, it's like you believe in the one that God sent. So this is very interesting though, because When Jesus was performing that miracle of feeding that 5,000, you might could say that God did something. God did a thing. You might even be tempted to call it a move of God. God did a thing and the people saw it, but they missed the point of it. They concluded that Jesus could be their food scarcity problem solver But Jesus was pointing to something entirely different. What he was trying to get them to was to the point of believing in him. This is so interesting because I find personally that when I see a miracle there or when I see a move of God over here or when I see signs and wonders over there, it's almost like I can't help but be fascinated and addicted to the thing that I saw God do. But that thing is not the thing that God means for me to get. The thing that God is really trying to get me to is a place where I in no matter what circumstances and believing him. Sometimes even the thing that God does is not the main thing that God is doing. That is so hard for us modern American Christians to get a hold of because it's so different than what we support and celebrate and promote, isn't it? Jesus makes bread and we're all like, do it again, Jesus. And Jesus is just like, no. I mean, listen. There's plenty of times where I need help from the father. I need help from the spirit. I need help from the son. And I'm asking the Lord to help me in situations. You should never stop asking the Lord to help you. But sometimes the thing that you're asking him to do is not part of where he's taking you. Jesus makes his bread and we can only ask him, Jesus, do it again. And he's like ambivalent. So we get confused just like that crowd that was eating that miracle food. You know, those people, those people that ate that miracle food, 
Do you know those people had to go back to work? They had to go back to farming or whatever they did. Blacksmithing, selling, whatever. Like they partook of that miracle. They partook of that miracle of provision. And guess what? Life continued. Life went on. They went back to their homes and they had to do their life. Okay, Jesus wasn't in their their houses ready to multiply the bread and the fish for them every day. They had to go and plant the grain. They had to go and reap the harvest. They had to thresh the wheat. They had to grind the wheat into bread and they had to put water and yeast and bread together. They had to put the loaf in the fire. They had to pay attention that it wasn't overbaked or underbaked and then they could take it out and then they could eat. And guess what? That's okay too. When God does a miracle in your life, it's not an invitation into you living a lifelong miracle. It's an invitation for you to believe rather than not believe. Everybody wants to believe God at conference time. Everybody wants to believe God when the music's good. Everybody wants to believe God when there's no offenses to go around. Everybody can believe God when their friends are nice to them. Everybody can believe God when there's enough food to eat. Everybody can do that. But the gospel call, the thing that's reaching out for us, y'all, is something beyond that. And we can't know what that feels like or looks like unless we get to a point where we're feeling a little pressure, where we're feeling a little bit of lack where we're feeling a little bit of challenge, where we feel a little bit of offense so that we have something to lay at Jesus's feet and say, Lord, I got nothing else but to trust you right here in this moment. That is the bread of life. When Jesus was saying that the last time I was talking to y'all and I was saying, Jesus is like, hey, you want something to eat? Open your mouth and eat me. Eat me. You have no business. You have no business here except that you consume my life. And I'm, I'm like, this is kind of weird. It's so theoretical and metaphysical. The only thing I can really figure it out, it's when I'm at that point of pressure, when I have only two choices, despair or hope, that's the moment I'm eating the bread of life because I'm choosing the hope and the faith of the Son of God that resides in me rather than the despair and hopelessness that the world is offering me. That's why I think the the whole devil tempting us to turn stones into bread thing is so interesting because, because it's like at every turn, there is something with which we can inebriate ourselves that distracts us from feeling the reality of our need for the spirit of God in our life. I 
I haven't really laid hold of this bread thing yet, but I'm, I'm, I feel like I could taste it. I feel like it's right here. And I'm like, we're about like on the brink of understanding this thing that heaven is trying to get to us. And I have this sneaking suspicion that once we start eating this bread of life, this thing starts getting on the inside of us. The things that we face, the real challenges, the real heartaches, the real heartbreaks begin to diminish in their power to wreak chaos and anxiety in our hearts and minds. Are you with me this morning? Oh, so. So these people, they've got to go back to work after this miracle. So here's the thing. If nothing else, this miracle that Jesus has performed with the loaves and the fish, it exposes our tendency to misunderstand what God means. The people here, they're clamoring for more bread. And Jesus just answered them and says, I'm the bread. I'm the bread. Man, if you're hungry, that's the worst. That's the worst answer you can get, isn't it? Like your actual belly has hunger pains inside of it. And, and the guy who's already created a solution, his only answer to is, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. It doesn't sound like a very good answer, does it? I love this. Jesus is not the bread anybody wants, but he is the bread that God is serving. The people asked Jesus again, what work must we work to get this bread again? And Jesus confronts their limited minds and he says, believe in the one who God sent to you. So what does this mean to believe in Jesus? Well, here's the thing. First of all, there's some leaping involved, like as in a leap of faith, like you have to go somewhere. You have to go somewhere past your understanding, right? I don't really know what believing in Jesus means. I'm just giving you the best that I have this morning, okay? So there's a place of decision where you may not have it within you to believe, but you decide to believe in Jesus nonetheless. There is some resignation that must happen within you. At some point in your life, you will need to give yourself to Jesus before you understand him very much. So we give ourselves up to the words of Jesus and we confess that he is the bread of heaven. We confess that he is the son of God by whom and through whom all things have been made. And that is way more than our sensible, sensible brains can manage but that is where we begin. And secondly, we believe in the testimony of Jesus. We practice the things that he told us to practice. We do the things that he told us to do. There is a doing. It is not just a being. At the last summer, supper before his death, we see Jesus holding up the bread and he's breaking it and he's serving it to his friends. And this was the image of his own life, his own body being broken and given up to the world. And we see our own lives as bread. We see our lives that are as bread that is broken and dispersed to the hungry. And we leave behind the ways of life that are self-serving. And we enter into a life that is self-sacrificing and self-giving. 
And sometimes we end up as broken bread, even against our own will. Sometimes we find out things about ourselves that we were once unaware of. And then the truth comes to us and we are crushed. It's painful at first, but it produces life if we don't resist the crushing. You know, as I was telling you guys earlier, I've been in a couple of like painful moments this this week, relationally speaking. And um, you know that feeling? It's like you get punched in the stomach and all the wind goes out of you. It's like you can't breathe, you know, like I didn't have that just once. I had that a couple times. And um, the thing that I notice about that experience is that it's very painful, but it's not that I have been physically punched in the stomach, but emotionally and mentally, when I feel pain and when I feel depleted and weak within myself, it's amazing how much more aware of life I become. It's almost like this, like, like this other gear kicks in and I become aware of like, I just become aware. It's, it's almost like we are constantly just barreling through life, constantly distracted, constantly unaware of how we're projecting ourselves or how we're behaving, how we're acting. And then we run into a point where we're so challenged that we have no choice but to be faced with our own humanity. And we want to put that at arm's length and we want to resist it. And Jesus is like, no, here's the moment when I can finally deal with you. Here's the moment when we can finally get growth, go somewhere together, advance in the kingdom of God. So, so I just was, I was just so interested because I, I knew I was going to be preaching on bread or broken bread. And I just thought, man, isn't that just like the Lord to kind of like make a prophetic example out of my own life to myself before I'm about to preach something, you know, like, It's just interesting how all that works. So this is the miracle of the bread of God. And this is the miracle of the way of God. Bread that is broken or our lives that are broken. It seems like nothing. Broken bread is seemingly insignificant. Who could ever imagine saving the world by broken bread? I love that image. I love that image of so much. I'm, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because, because here's the thing. Um, guns, tanks, warplanes, drones, B-52 bombers, nuclear bombs, assault rifles. All of these things are very expedient. They make so much sense especially when it comes to fighting the powers that be broken bread makes no sense. If you imagine all the military powers of the world and then Jesus comes in the middle of that and he says, I'm broken bread. 
I'm the secret weapon. I'm the thing that's going to bring down all of the armies of the world. I'm the only thing that can defeat the sword. I'm the only thing that can overcome all of the strongholds that are operating in our lives. It's this miracle of broken bread. Broken bread is the weapon of God's warfare. Let me say that to you again. Broken bread is the weapon of God's warfare. Broken bread is the weapon against which no sword can win. (laughs) Even when bread is losing, it's winning. Especially when bread is losing, it's winning. Well, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, we love you today. Why don't we just stay seated? Don't stand. Just stay seated for a second. I hope I hope this has resonated in some of you this morning. But why don't we just why don't we practice? Why don't we practice belief together rather than unbelief? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of like three or four cynical, unbelieving thoughts that you've had rolling around in your head for a while. And, and I want you to imagine how smart you are and how savvy and wise you are. I want you to think about how, how, how much information you have access to from your iPhone. Imagine all that stuff for just a second. And then also I want you to imagine Um, Your pillow at night, when your head is laying on your pillow and all of the anxiety that's rolling around in your head. It's not it's not hard to do, is it? And I just want to say this one statement over you. All of that anxiety, all of that smugness and pride, all of that cynicism, it is rooted in one place. It is rooted in unbelief. It is rooted in our unwillingness to come to Jesus so that he might give us rest. So here's what I want us to do right now. All of that stuff that I had you imagine, I now want you to imagine bringing that to the feet of Jesus and under, bring it under his lordship right now. Just through that simple thought exercise, everything that you think you know, everything that you think you understand, just give it to Jesus. And then somehow communicate, whether out loud or in your mind. We were singing these songs in worship today, but just just say it to him. Lord, I make you Lord of my life again. Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. Turn my unbelief into belief. And here's, here's the wonderful thing, guys. It's going to look different for, for us. As many different people in, are in here, this journey looks different for us. 
But I'm just totally persuaded by the goodness of God. That he knows what he's doing. And he's bringing us into his fullness. This is the thing, guys. Is that Jesus really is bringing us into his fullness. Lord, we just love you. We bless you. Pastor Robin, should I, should I, do you have anything you want to add or should I, prayer teams? Oh, I, I can close it out if, unless you got something. Yeah. It's, it's amazing that the, the solution God gave us was a crucified savior. It's just so, you can't make up, you can make up a lot of different religions. You can't make this one up. That God's answer is a perfect man who never did anything but good, who always had everyone's best interest at heart, was murdered, whose body was broken, broken bread. And he said, here's the solution. And our minds real, just like Andy said, such a great presentation, Andy. Our minds real, questions emerge, but that's when faith comes. That's when faith comes. I can remember when I met the Lord years ago back in high school, and um, one of the most wonderful things happened was I experienced his presence in a way that I couldn't get away from. Grew up in church. I grew up in church. But that didn't do it. Growing up in church didn't do it. But encounter with the one that was crucified, who poured out his spirit, who touched my life in such a wonderful way, I can never, I can never get away from. I've been saved a long time. There have been times I would love to get away from Jesus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But uh, that's a fool's game. I love Jesus because of what he's done for me. I love him because um, it bothers me that I can't control him. Anybody ever ever come there? But that's the whole story. So let's do this. Let's just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much. Great message, Andy. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 